welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to a yet another Knock On podcast. I know I was due for one. Some of my close friends were whining to me, actually to us. I'm joined by um, my good buddy Ben O'Brien, and say hi, Ben. Hey, what's up, man? Do you want to give your job title? Sure, I always like to give my job title. Uh, I'm the hunting marketing manager at Yeti, Yeti Coolers to to folks, either one, so... Been there for about a year and a half, and uh, just kind of, they are nice enough to let me hunt around and hang out with cool people and and uh, shoot, and this week, or this yesterday, shoot uh, bows. A lot of people don't know, I actually rattled you in with my podcast with the yeah. ice jingling in my Yetis yeah. every podcast, yep. and you just eventually came in to the yeah. rattle. I didn't even know, it was like... Uh, it was just in my mind. I thought I need to go to Iowa. It's kind of like Field of Dreams. <laughs> <laughs> then you, then you came into this office and thought, "Am I going to die in here?" There's yeah. a lot of dead stuff. There is a lot of dead stuff, but that to me makes me that makes me feel comfortable. Makes okay. me feel at ease. Well, Most people that that disarms me. Most people get a little nervous, but well, I'm I'm excited to to have someone in here to talk with me i'm always doing it over the phone and it gets annoying between lightning storms and everything else so this feels pretty cool um you actually this was kind of a a two-part deal um one we wanted to hang out a little bit but your bow uh finally came in that you ordered yeah. from hoyt so um i agreed to set you up if you wanted to to kind of i guess reassess your shooting style sure. And you came and we kind of had like a little, almost like a little mini school. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you only have a day. So unfortunately we haven't been able to, to get too deep into things, but, um, I think we can have a pretty good podcast just by talking through some of that stuff. And then, yeah. um, Antoine actually kind of rounded up some different questions that I'll skim through here, um, while we're talking, but maybe just, I guess from what we did yesterday, is there anything that you feel like, um, based off, I guess talk a little bit, because one thing that I really liked you talking about yesterday was the fact that <clears throat> you come from an area where there's a lot of people wanting to do bow hunting, mm -hmm. and you just feel like, you know, maybe they're not going the right direction to yeah. start, and they were coming to you, and you were like, okay, well, I know what to do, but maybe I'm not the guy to like, yeah. navigate all these people yeah so i guess based off where you were and what i've done with you literally in a matter of maybe a half a day yeah. um maybe just give us your, your thoughts and i'll chime in yeah no i think one thing i mean i've bow hunted since i was 12 or 13 years old i mean you come up and you, your father you know you have somebody that's teaching you and i and we were saying yesterday i i don't think Probably eighty-five to ninety percent of people that are bow hunting or or just shooting a bow have someone in their life they can go to that can give them real insight, like real technical insight that is tangible to what they're doing. Like, and archery shops and your you know that person in your life that you know you're gonna ask that question to, you're gonna call them up and say, "Hey, my release isn't quite feeling right. What am I doing wrong?" I just feel like most people don't have that. They don't have the proper resource. Their bow shops probably aren't tuned in to, to what they need, and, and they're just a lot of times trying to trying to sell them whatever they have in the shop or trying to get them into the bow they have on the shelf. Or, you know, like we were talking about yesterday, there's so much turnover at these bow shops. You know, my experience in Texas was go to the bow shop, you know, get a bow shipped to me, go to the bow shop, attempt to talk through things with the with the the folks that work there and I could tell right away that their level of knowledge didn't meet the threshold that I needed yeah um, mm -hmm. and I think what I'm lucky enough to have done here and you know really was like six hours maybe five or six hours when we weren't eating barbecue or 
or, or drinking whiskey was, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty lucky to have spent that time because I don't think most people, I think most people go through their entire bow hunting lives without really sitting down and saying, what's my process? Like, why am I trying to look through the peep when I'm looking through it? Why am I anchoring where I'm anchoring as opposed to just having somebody slap on a kisser button and try to find it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Most people like, and you and I both are actually in a pretty, we're between a rock and a hard place here because both of us have good relationships with dealers and the dealers are the lifeblood to the industry and they serve a great purpose. But the, the thing is our industry is changing very fast because the internet and videos and podcasts, there's everyone's able to ask so many questions directly and now a lot of people are given answers. Yeah. Some aren't qualified. They just now have a platform. Um, some information that's finally coming out is really, really useful. But the, maybe the people, and a lot of times the people in the shops don't have the time yeah. to be researching the way a consumer does. A consumer is just like, in it he's active he's he's literally surfing through watching two minutes of a youtube thing wait this is bull crap go to the next one all of a sudden he finds something good and meanwhile while the consumer's doing that the shop guy yeah. is behind the counter yeah. kind of you know trying to do a cookie cutter setup putting a kisser button on at two inches over the knock and putting a peep sight at six and a half inches and just giving it to the guy and say hey this should fit you And, you know, the reality is my head's shaped a little bit different than yours. I mean, you know, some people just have different shapes. You know, the the distances of, you know, some people have bigger hands. And when they anchor, it kind of moves the string off their face a little bit differently. You know, some people have to get into the string a little bit more. And obviously nowadays, even with Hoyt, there's so many, if you look at a defiant between an aluminum defiant, a carbon defiant, and you have a turbo, a 34, and a 31, or a 30, all those are different string angles. Yeah. And then whether or not you get the bow with a number two cam on it, like, for, and you're a perfect example, um, when, I, when, when Jeremy actually called me about your bow order, he said, where do you think you're going to end up putting them at a draw length? And I had the decision to either put you in a number three cam to where we actually could have gone a little bit longer than where you're at now or go with a number two cam and I'd really only have the last two slots to have option for whatever we did or didn't do with your draw length. But if you had that bigger cam, you know, the overall length of that string coming off the bow is literally bigger the cams are bigger so the string angle is going to be less than with the smaller cam so just in that situation alone um if you're just going to a place where they're just trying to cookie cutter those things out and they're not paying you for your time you're just you're stuck you know with having to fit into what they give you not necessarily what you need yeah and i wouldn't say for me i i don't want to make it sound like all archery dealers are doing a bad job they're not i mean they're working within the system that's that they have right yeah they're in you know the folks that are, are there are doing their jobs as prescribed and they're doing their best and there's some you go to that are great but as you were saying there's plenty of folks um, that have went to reputable archery dealers and come back shooting their release the wrong way and with their site set up that makes no sense to where their peak placement is and all the little things. So I it struck me, somebody who's been shooting a bow my entire life, the once I really got serious here in the last year or so, yep. um, the level that which I felt like there wasn't a solid resource, like even searching, you know, trying to, figured out and people coming to me like you said at, at yeti um you know we're in texas and there's a lot of new hunters or a lot of new people that are exposed to hunting through our brand and being the hunting guy at yeti people come up to me and say i want to get a bow what do i do yep and i and i always wish you know i said i've been hunting my whole life and i don't have an answer to that question i mean i have an answer it's go to this bow shop the only one in town buy a bow probably don't spend a bunch of money just in case you don't take to it and ends up gathering dust and and trust that they're going to set it up for you and then 
bring it back and we'll shoot together and I can give you what limited expertise I have. Yeah. Um, and I always felt that wasn't, that wasn't enough. I didn't want to put somebody in that situation. Well, I th- you know, th- maybe five years ago, like the pie plate philosophy was still around. Like yeah. people were, you know, if people could shoot a pie plate and actually I remember, uh, I remember doing, I, I forget where it was, but I've done several different bow hunter type, you know, classes or certifications. Some states and some foreign countries um, have different types of certifications. And I've done them in a lot of different countries. And I know that one place, they literally had a paper plate and they put it on the target and all the students had to hit that paper plate three out of five shots. And there was there was like some women there and some kids that could not do it and they could not get certified to be a bow hunter. But just the fact that just the fact that a paper plate was even good enough is it's unfortunate that some people couldn't make it, but it's also unfortunate that that's how big it is yeah. because archery and you know, I've I saw you do it yesterday, you've seen me do it. The amount of accuracy you can have with the bow is far beyond what most people are giving it credit for. Yeah. No, and I think for me, once we sat down and talked through the process, you know, when you get to a point where you're comfortable that you can shoot a bow, like I've shot a lot of bows. I've shot probably every brand, tried every arrow that, that I can think of. And I, you know, the one thing I never really switched out was my release, but being able to, regardless of the release I was shooting or the bow, I felt like the fact that I was setting my feet and looking down at my feet and thinking about where they were, that initial mental hurdle of don't just put your feet somewhere. And, yep. and you know, before it was, there was like a two-step process, find the kisser button and get the peep lined up on the, on the housing, of the site. Yeah. And then get the, get the pin, pin on, the on the target. And that, like you said, that without looking at where your shoulder placement is or where your feet are, or, you know, are you open or are you closed? Um, I never did that before. And I've, and we were just talking this year, uh, I've killed, I got a bow in, I want to say late March, set it up, went to archery shop, set it up, and then went out in April and killed a turkey. In May, I killed a bear and in June, I killed a bear. Yep. And all of those were within 30 yards. And I made, you know, one shot, the second shot I made on the last bear was a little bit further, but I say that just to say that I... That was I was capable of doing that. Yep. I wasn't flinging arrows all over the place. I got to hunt with some really good bow hunters. I mean, Cam Haynes and Bob Robb and these people that could look at me and say, "That looks great." Yeah. Like that looks fine. And I and that was my threshold. Yep. You know that somebody that knew more than me could look at me and say, "Well, you're not screwing that up." And um, but I had I didn't have an idea how to fix something if it was wrong. You know. Yeah. So we talked about it out there. You know, we're shooting in your backyard, and I can feel when I'm doing it wrong. Now when you, you're talking, you're talking after going through my process. Yes. Yeah, after going through your process and establishing, you know, that process for myself. I mean, I could tell when my elbow was going the wrong way, or when the, you know, I think the probably the biggest thing for me was feeling when the the right muscle is doing the right things. You know, when you're feeling it in your back. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, with especially with back tension, it's uh, there's so many people that try to pull through with the wrong muscle, mm-hmm. and it's a very, very it's a struggle if you're not doing it correctly. And I think I told this to you. I know that um, like a week ago, I was working with Joe, and there was a few times where when he was pulling, he was coming down and away from his face. And I kept saying, you're coming down and away from your face. You need to come, you need to be able to pull and bring that release hand over the shoulder, around the shoulder. And, I, and he was still kind of doing it occasionally. So then I told him, I kind of, you know, I, I, I know how, how much he understands muscle function, sure, yeah. which, you know, muscles, all the different muscles in your body are designed to pull a limb a certain direction. So I told him, I said, you realize that when you're utilizing your lats to pull through, 
your lats are made, you know, in a triangle angling down towards the center, you know, towards the center of your lower back. So I said, if you're utilizing lat to try to pull through, it's going to, that lat muscle contracts down and and down and back. Mm -hmm. It's not coming, you know, it's not coming back straight backwards and through. And I said, instead of this lat, Think of the muscle that you use like when you're rowing to where you're able to utilize more of the central rhomboid. And then like instantly he just, he looked at me, he's like, it's exactly what I needed to hear. He's like, I, I already know what that's going to feel like before I even make my next shot. He's like, I, he goes, "I, I get it. Like for me, that's what I needed to hear. And unfortunately for coaches, some people need things explained different ways that can relate to what they understand, you know, whereas, um, you know, for you, some of the things that we talked about, you know, I wasn't necessarily communicating on the same type of, I guess, wavelength as what I was with Joe at that point, but being able to point those out, especially working with someone where as soon as you make a mistake and I correct you on it, and then I'm able to watch you then correct it and say okay now do you feel those two differences then you're able to have that confirmation and be able to pull through one thing i think would be wise for people um and i speak from experience when i first the the reason i started my first archery shop was because i was working in an archery shop and I sold a brand new bow to a guy. The guy that owned the place watched everything the employees did. He just sat in his office and watched cameras. And I remember this guy came in. He bought a brand new bow. You know, it was probably a thousand bucks back at the time. And I literally took him in the back range. You know, I I kind of adjusted his peep sight so the peep fit him properly. I talked with him about how to work a release right. And all of a sudden, he's like just wad and arrows in the center of like a single spot bullseye. And he was like elated that he could shoot like that. Mm -hmm. And he was technically, he was hitting arrows. So he's going to make the shot money from wrecking arrows. And I remember as soon as he left, the owner came to me and just said, listen, if you sell a new bow, it's 15 minutes. You get that guy shooting and you need to be on another customer in 15 minutes. And if you feel like your shop is like that, then maybe if you're someone listening, maybe it's worth the investment to say how much for an hour of private time. Yes. And then just say, listen, I want, I want, I'm going to buy a brand new bow. I want one hour. I want to be able to tell you this doesn't feel comfortable, this does feel comfortable, I want you to watch me shoot. If something's not right, I need to be able to have someone that can put it in a press and go mess with it. Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna pick up my bow and go home and then try to figure out what's, yeah. what's happening. Yeah. You know, I, I just feel like that's, that's the part with archery is it's so, if you wanna be at the level where archery is gone now, which a lot of bow hunters are at the level of intermediate target archers, Mm -hmm. you need to be able to have some of that specialty time, you know, and and I, I recognize that, um, for, you know, I told you I'm getting into kettlebells. I'm like, really, you know, I did some stuff with Joe. He showed me some movements, um, that were, that he told me would really help develop, certain aspects of my shoulder that I think a lot of archers really struggle to find. So I'm like, I'm going to try that. So I came home and I bought a couple and I started doing a few of these, these moves. I'm like, you know what? There's something to this. This is a very, very, I mean, it's about as primitive as you can get. It's a freaking cannonball with, with a handle on it, but there's movements that really develop certain things. And after doing it for like two weeks, my next question is, where do I go to work with someone that is, that knows this? Like, I don't want to, and that's actually something, um, that I learned from the guy, you know, the guys behind you. Um, you know, when you came in my office, you're like, nice picture of Arnold. Um, 
Yeah, I thought maybe you were an artist. I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a gift. You really like Arnold. Like, no, that was a gift. So Predator was a great movie. No? Yeah, definitely. Um, but when I got to work out with people like that for the first time, I I just realized how much of a waste of time I had learning from. And you know what? They were great. They were bigger, faster, stronger coaches yeah. at our high school. They were spending time with kids. They're probably the only couple parents that would be in the weight room every single day for when high school kids or football players want to go to the weight room. But you know what? Half the crap they taught me wrecked my knees, Mm -hmm. wrecked my back. You know, half of my problems that I have with my elbows right now are probably from them being like, all right, we're going to get three reps in, you know, and literally trying to blow you out before you've been developed. And then once I started working with people, especially people that are older in age when it comes to something that requires finesse. The older the people get, and that's what's neat about a lot of sports, there's times where there's where the athlete might have been in their peak in their like mid twenties to late thirties. But then when you see them in their forties, they might not be at that level, but they're still super good, and they're and they're they're saying, "Man, I wish I knew yeah. the technicalities and the finesse now that I didn't know then." Because it seems like a lot of times when you're younger, it's just like all powering through everything, yeah. and you're utilizing your strength of youth to like power through something, whereas. Now I realize, you know, make less weight, feel heavier, slower, control, you know, utilize more of the muscle, focus more on the mind-muscle connection, which in a way, without me deliberately saying that to you, that is what I was trying to get you to focus on when you were saying, I don't know why, but like that shot, I I can't really feel like what was going on. So I was trying to draw you in. Um, And one thing... You know, for those listening, when I was working with Ben, he, you know, and when I agreed to do this, I said, are you, are you just wanting to go in the backyard and like fling arrows around or do you want to learn the right way? And he said, no, I'm willing to like start a new book. So let's just do it. So um, I gave you a Carter Evolution. Yep. We started on a string uh, and just started showing you how to anchor properly um, when grabbing a release to make sure that you keep your hand flat and you know and there's there's two things for those of you who are listening that are you know trying to picture this you know eventually I want to have a camera in here so you can see what I'm talking about but um, with your hand you know when you bend your fingers around on your hand you can you can literally bend your knuckles um, in two spots to where the tips of your fingers are pointing back at yourself and your hand is flat. That is how you should hold a release aid. You should have that release right between, um, you know, your last two knuckles on your hands. You need to have it right in that same spot. Just like, almost just like if you were to grab your finger around a you know, I don't know, around a bowstring or something. It's almost that same position. Now, if you start to make a fist and you start to curl your fingers towards your palm, you can see that you quickly start to, if you're imagining how that hand affects your draw length, you quickly shorten your draw as you make a fist. So you, or at least me on my hand, I can change my draw length almost two inches by simply either making a fist or having a flat hand on the back side of my hand and just having my fingers, the last two knuckles, the last two rows of my knuckles curled around that release. Then my hand straight. So my, how that feels for my draw length is consistent. The other position is your front shoulder. How that scapula is able to move in your socket, you know, you're able to, to push your shoulder forward. You're able to push your shoulder back while you have it in the same position. So between making a fist with your release hand or not making a fist and then the positions of that front shoulder, you can essentially change your drawing four inches by those two things. And that's really what I do. Like when I have to, when I shot your bow, which is quite a bit shorter for me or Joe's bow is even shorter for me. 
I literally have to change the position of my hand and then change the position of my shoulder so that I can still kind of maintain, for the yeah. most part, my my posture to shoot those bows. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's critical for those of you who are listening. You started with the evolution. We started you pulling through. Yeah. Then, to kind of get back on the subject that I was talking about, um, when you were pulling, what really started to help you was to move behind you and be in the position and say, okay, were you hearing me talking right now? Um, which I would move um, if I was look if I was standing straight behind him at full draw, I would be maybe a few inches left of center standing behind him. And I would say, okay, now focus on pulling the tip of your elbow towards where you hear me talking. Just drive that elbow right to where you hear me talking. And what that does is that allows your focus to move further away from the actual release hand. And it really helps you come through your shot much better. In a way, it's like leverage. The closer you grab a bar to something that you need to pry, the harder it is to actually get it to work. But if you if you grab that further out and you're able to to pry, the leverage just seems to to be much much easier. And that's the same when it comes to pulling through with your release. If all you're focusing on is your hand on your face and pulling the hand along your face, it really feels like a struggle at times. Yeah. But then once I said, okay, forget about the hand on your face. Think about the tip of that elbow and just using those rhomboids in the center of your shoulder blades to pull that the tip of that elbow right to where you hear me talking. Just keep pulling, pull, pull. All of a sudden, the timing of your shot was cut maybe three or four seconds. Yeah. Easy. Well, and that's, you know, when I go through and think about it, now, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm probably going to just put a speaker behind me and where I need to be and turn on a podcast or turn on music and just get used to going towards that sound. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a good way to do it. Yeah, and I I think that when you talk about those key points, I never, you know, it's a very, in my mind, it was a very quick switch. It was going from find your anchor point, find the peat, find, you find your sight and shoot. Yeah. To, there was a bunch of other stuff going on, but as I was doing that, I wasn't thinking about that stuff. And one thing you said to me that struck a chord was, now you're thinking about the back half of your body. Yep. You know, all the stuff going on in the front half is seemingly important because that's where, you know, how you can get your accuracy and and all those things. But the process is behind you. The process is the second half of your body that you're not ever really thinking about. Um, And I told, I was texting with with Rogan last night and I said, I never had a follow through before. Yep. And he said, yeah, I know. Like I saw you shoot, and and I never had one either before I started started using a Carter and um, and Evolution particularly, and so the, just that that idea that you never really were thinking that where that elbow was going, it was just always there. Yep. And um, I've had people in the past say, "Well, bring that elbow in a little bit, or or you know, drop that arm a little bit," and never. I always just thought, "Well, that's what you do," but I never had an idea of all the moving parts that go into go into it. What's funny how time and time and time and time again when I go through this these processes with people, I get them to focus on learning how the you know learning certain steps like, you know, where to put your feet, your anchor position, how to how your head should be on the string, how the, well, how the string should be on your face, the position of your head, where the string should be on your nose. And then we work on engaging the trigger and then going through the process of coming, pulling through that trigger to activate your shot, regardless of what release that you shoot. And, you know, yesterday I showed Ben, um, I showed Ben one of my shots with like my, the release that I have, the new knock to it. And then I said, okay, now I'm going to, I'm going to make a shot with the evolution now I'm going to make a shot with a hinge style release, mm-hmm. and then even with a even if I go to a wrist strap release, if you were standing behind me and you could not see what release was 
in front of my face, you would not be able to yeah. tell any difference in my timing, my rhythm, or, and for me, even a lot of times where my peep needs to be in my string or where I hit, I'm able to shoot all those and get the same result. But it's because I'm focusing on that process and not focusing as much on my pin. And a lot of times when shooters are learning this for the first time, and you went through this step, is you're really focusing on the release at first because it feels so new. Mm -hmm. You're just like, that's just totally where your focus is. And what's funny is even when you did not have a sight on your bow, how tight your group was. Yeah, Like you were shooting on a blank bale, and you were essentially shooting a tighter group on with no sight than what you did once you put the sight on it first. Yeah. And it's like, okay, and I told you, you you were shooting tighter groups when you weren't thinking about your pin. Now that you're thinking about your pin, you've your attention has gone away from that. And that's I think when I brought you back to say, okay, when we started we were talking about your shot process within your box, mm -hmm. your little square yep. space. Now you've got to the level where you're feeling like you understand the release. You feel like you're pulling through. You've put your sight back on the bow. Now your focus almost has to split that box in half, draw a line right between your legs. And it's like, if you're not, if you're not anchoring properly, if your head is going too far out of the picture, and what I mean by that is a lot of people think that they're pulling against a release, but they actually just take their head further and further forward on the string. They actually move their head further on the mm -hmm. string rather than pulling the bow back. And this is very, very common in recurve shooters, and a big reason why recurve shooters don't pull through the clicker properly and also um, especially now you know if you watch the olympic games um, at the olympic level it's way less likely to see but you probably still will see it when shooters get tight and when recurve shooters get tight they raise their bow and they take their head forward towards the bow as they're mm -hmm. pulling back and when they get to their anchor for every inch their head's gone forward, that's one inch less that they're not able to pull through that clicker with the same amount of timing. So they're having to overextend yeah. and overextend and overextend. And as they're doing that, they're applying more string pressure and more arrow pressure on the face. And they're overextending. Sometimes they have to try to lean back. And in that process, the front shoulder comes up and it's just literally a huge form breakdown. Whereas if it's just like, okay, dude, forget about the sight. Let's let's just put the biggest bullseye target I got up. You know, I took a block. I went from having it to where there was five little dots. I spun it around to where the dot was literally the size of a pumpkin. And then all of a sudden you're shooting tighter groups. Yeah. Yep. And you're literally not aiming at anything. So it's it's a hundred percent positive confirmation that my belief in what the front sight is doing has much less importance than what yeah. you are doing from your center line back. Yep. Um, and, there, and I would say, and then there's not, there isn't, a, wasn't a point for me where I was um, confused or nervous about what we were doing. I, I knew that, I, at first, I'm lucky enough to hang around some of the best hunters and archers in the world you know and being here this week i realized i got a lot to <laughs> i got a lot to get a lot of a lot of distance to travel but you know that inspired me to learn more yeah and, and wanting to learn more that's what made me um willing to just break down everything i've ever done uh and just let that go uh as much i've killed a lot of stuff with a bow um and had a lot of you know success and failure or whatever that didn't, to me, that wasn't, I let that go. Like, yeah. I used to, when I picked up a bow, I used to think, well, if I don't have this trigger yeah. on my release, on my old crappy true ball release, and I don't have a kisser button, I can't shoot a bow. Yeah. That used to be my mindset. And I, I I guarantee there's people out there listening that that have that. It may not be a kisser button or 
a trigger release. It may be a site. No, it's definitely what they got. They yeah. got they got their their regular release that they were given to where when they pull back, they can put their thumb behind their neck or they can put their fist in a position where that feels secure. Then they have a kisser button in their face, and that's it. I mean, I know a lot of guys. My uncle was one of them. He wanted a kisser button and no peep. And he like like for, for he was just like I can be more accurate with this and eventually I've said you know proven yeah, yeah. no actually it's the other way around you know your centering is more important with your line of sight than feeling on your face and the problem is the more you feel something on the face the more opportunity you have yeah. to actually affect the arrow differently each and every shot because. Yeah. It gets really hard to feel what you're doing with your face. It's not, you know, your the side of your face and the fat on your neck and your jowls isn't a super sensitive area. Yeah. People can be burying it in there and they don't realize it. Whereas if that string's light on your face and you're focusing more on, you know, things that you can feel like hand position, position of your hand, how your hand cuz you know, when I anchor on my face, I think I have more sensitivity for my hand being mm. on my face than I do of my face feeling my hand. Yeah. And then just being able to concentrate on that small group of muscles and pull through. And what you're saying about wiping the slate, you know, there's there's super elite level archers that come here. And, you know, and they're they're people that rem- that prefer to be confidential, but even when they're the best in the world, when they get in slumps and they're just like, listen, I need to, I just need you to look at, just look at me. I don't want to look at them the way they are. I want to just take everything away and say, listen, let's go back to the five things that matter most. And just, I mean, I might as well touch on those quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when Ben was here, I kind of gave him a pretty quick uh, fly through PowerPoint, you know, showed them on some PowerPoints so that I could show them some diagrams and things like that. Um, but really the first thing, um, regardless of any, any level of archers being able to look down at your feet and get your stance in the proper position, because the positioning of your feet automatically has a, a huge, um, determination of what your torso and your shoulder position is going to be that immediately affects how much string clearance you have on your front arm it also has an immediate effect on how the actual front um, socket you know your arm your humerus um, you know where that where everything goes into the shoulder socket and that scapula if your stance is closed in that and you know your humerus is is turned in and it's forward of your center line then the only place it has to really go is up against the neck whereas if you're slightly open and that you're able to turn it to where that humerus is in a position to where it's slightly outside of the center line then it allows you to have your lap muscle control that scapula and keep it down and forward so um, you know, and the shoulder is actually a later step, but looking down at your feet, step one is what the most important thing to do. Then the second step is looking at your grip, you know, looking right at your hand position. Um, you know, and I talked to you about, you know, doing what's natural and comfortable. I tell my bow to stop, you know, I literally kind of open my hand and when I open my hand naturally, like in almost like a stop position, my thumb is at a 45 degree angle and when I see that my thumb angle is correct I slide my hand up against the top of my grip and then I lean down on the grip to where I have even pressure from the top all the way to the base of my palm and I also make sure that my bow grip has not crossed over the lifeline of my hand um, is there anything you want to add on those first two steps? Something that well, you, that helped you? I, I do think when you drew, you took a pen and drew a line where that lifeline was. Yep. And that was the first time I ever visually thought about where that bow needed to. Like I gave myself a barrier at that point. Um, I think it's different when you're 
drawing the line and looking at it than when you have a bow in your hand and you're at full draw. Yep. But um, you just give yourself the mental notes um, and even the physical cues of what where this needs to be. And, and I will say before you explain that to me, and I, I, again, I would imagine there's a lot of people out here that, that have seen this and feel this, this way. The instruction or the things that I've seen is you want to keep that hand loose. Yep. So I've seen a lot of archers target or otherwise that would like wiggle their fingers to keep it loose. Um, and so I didn't, and you know, how you turn your wrist to where it sits. Yeah. But I never looked at the, you know, essentially the region of my hand where that yeah. really, or where that grip needed to be. So I went from like two fairly intangible ideas about what my grip needed to be to that needs to be right here. Yeah. And you corrected me a couple times, like loosen your grip. Yeah. But I didn't. I did. I knew where it was, and I didn't feel like I needed to adjust or change or wiggle my fingers. Or I just had an idea that when I felt that pressure, the right part of my hand, you know, above the lifeline, I guess would be the yeah correct way to say it. That that I, it was in the right spot. Yeah. And because it technically, when you draw, um, when you draw a compound bow back. It's at its limberous state at full draw. It's most susceptible to torquing when it's at full draw because all of the pressure of the limbs and everything is transferred into the cables. It's not, you know, the string is loose. Essentially, the riser feels loose. You can twist it. So changing your hand position at full draw or moving fingers at full draw, that's the worst time to do it Mm because that's when you have the ability to apply the most torque on the system. Is that something you've seen before? Like I saw, I remember watching it on like hunting TV and seeing, you know, people talking about, I'm practicing for, to to go out and kill this big buck. And, and one thing I do to keep myself in in the right, you know, the grip frame is to wiggle my fingers. I've seen, I I can't say I've seen that a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, Well, a friend of mine, um, Randy down in Texas, um, makes this cool little thing, and Randy's going to kill me, but it's called, uh, I'm sure it's called the True Shot Coach. And it's this little bitty thing that goes on your hand. Um, and it slides on your fingers. And it's got like a triangular shape to where it fits in your palm. And it, it forces you to have your bow hand position in the exact same spot um, every single time. And it's a, it's a, the simplest little thing. Yeah, it's called the... It's actually neat is making it N E E T, but it's called the True Shot Coach uh, Training Aid, and they have them in different sizes depending on the size of your hand. But that's actually a really good little device for just for practicing. Um, some people compete in it, um, but it just it forces you to understand where that bow needs to be. And to give you who are listening an idea, when you take your hand and you start to move your thumb towards your pinky you'll see that it creates you know what i call the lifeline and that's the main wrinkle in your hand that pretty much goes from the center of your palm up to kind of between your thumb and your index finger i guess is the best way that's your lifeline and if you take a marker and you draw on that lifeline you never want your bow grip to cross on the side that's further away from your thumb. You actually want your bow grip fitting between, you know, kind of in the soft spot between, um, what do you call this part of your hand right here, I guess? Yeah, just say like the saddle of your hand. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, your main, the main pressure of your grip, you're going to feel in the saddle, but then once you lean down on that bow to where you have even pressure, you want that grip to go kind of right where the main part of your thumb connects into the wrist. But you don't want that grip crossing over to the side of that lifeline that is on the opposite side of your hand that goes towards your fingers. Uh, that True Shot Coach is a really cool little yeah. thing. It's super simple. I'll show you one. Um, but then after that, you got your stance. Was there anything with stance that you, other than dog... Finding some dog shit? Yeah, just stepping some dog shit. And I was, you know, one of the things that I realized is when you're looking down and you actually look at your feet and you say, oh, well, I'm in a great stance. There's something, there seems to be some mud on my toes. That, <laughs> and that mud smells like 
dog shit. <laughs> and I'm wearing flip flops. And uh, yeah, that was. <laughs> then I just was into my bare feet. And, yeah, uh, we smell well, a little shit, but and it's nice. It's actually, and that it kind of brings up a good point. Um, you know, obviously, if you didn't have a solid foundation, you would have slipped in that in that situation. Yeah. You know, it was you obvious can't. you had a great yeah. stance. Could have set my up. ankle in that. Like, yeah, it would have been a nice story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had, when I was shooting this morning, I saw the big pile. Did of, you like, see like my footprint? I literally, <laughs> yeah, it looked like. I mean, I think we could do a Finding Bigfoot episode yeah. out there. It looked like I was doing a long jump into the sand pit. <laughs> it did. It was stretched out. Like, you had a good little slide in it. Yeah. Um, but that's... I've never once... And I can't say... Never is probably um, not the right word, but I rarely ever look down at my feet when I'm shooting a bow. Even... Most people don't. Even when, I, even when we say this, I'll guarantee we'll say this, we'll talk about this... Everyone listens like, okay, step one, look at my stance. Step two, look at my grip. After like four shots, people just start looking at the target yeah. or looking at their sight or grabbing their release. And it's like, no, when I shoot, I, you know, I'm literally resetting. I shoot my arrow, I set my bow down, or I let the sling or I rest it in the, you know, in between my legs to where the pressure is completely off my front shoulder. I load a new arrow, I clip my release mm-hmm. on the string. I literally, while you might think I'm looking at my release, I'm looking right down at my feet. And as soon as it's like feet, check, then my eye goes five inches towards my hand. I'm looking at my grip. I see my thumb at the right position. I lean on the bow. I can see that my grip and I can feel that my grip isn't crossing my lifeline. And from there, I raise my bow toward and point the tip of my arrow at the target and I draw the release hand back to my face, and I, while I'm drawing back and that bow stops, I'm thinking about step three, which is my front shoulder position. And when that bow stops and hits the wall, as I'm coming over to my anchor, I'm thinking, is my front shoulder down? If I feel tension against the back of my spine, if I feel tension against my neck, if I feel extra tension in my traps, then I already know that this shot needs to be canceled and restarted. But as soon as I get to that bow stops and I realize my shoulder's down and forward, I'll come over to my anchor position, which is step four, anchor. It's so critical that you anchor first. When you have that release and you're holding in that position that we talked about, you have to get your index finger underneath your jawline and your middle finger above. And it's so easy. People that are in the habit of a kisser button or trying to look through their peep sight who have never been taught about an anchor, it's just, it's it's a really, really tough habit to break. And you were in that habit. You just pull back and you'd want to look through the peep. Yeah. And I'd say, where's your anchor at? And you'd realize, holy crap, my index finger's like above my jawline. Yeah. Like it's a, it's two inches different. Yeah. And I told you, I said that people that miss, you know, I've, I've known a lot of people that shoot under whitetails at 20 yards out of a tree stand and they just rip that peep back to their eye. They never think about anchor position or how it changes. Um, yeah. but it, it affects everything. Well, think, you, like just think about that. And I thought about that a lot. Like I never once found true found my true anchor point when i was shooting a bow and i was worried when we first started even without a sight that i was never going to be able to with a new type of with the evolution a new type of release and trying to figure out with no kisser button i felt like i was in a ship no you know i was in a rowboat with no, with yeah. no oars and i thought well this thing's never going to move i'm never going to get out of of that routine of you know i was telling you i, I guarantee i'll be moving the corner of my lip trying to find the kisser button and you actually never did. And I don't think, and just because we went through that, I think because we sat here where we're sitting right now and went through those slides, yeah, oh, I yeah. had an expectation of, I've got to get to this point. So I was no longer thinking about the stuff I used to do. Yep. I was thinking about the five steps, you know, check your, you know, think about this, put some dog shit on your friend's toe that you're shooting, <laughs> your, that you're shooting together and seeing how close he know how long it takes him to notice. Oh, yeah. If he shoots six arrows and never sees the shit, then you know he's not. Yeah, I was like his feet. Same thing with your anchor point. Put a little, you know. Yeah, because no, most people they have that they have that dog shit on there for quite a while. Yes, but you were. I mean, you were on it, dude. Yeah. Literally, 
you pulled arrows, you hit the pile I had shades put there, and then literally you're like, I said, all right, let's make some good shots, and you're like, wait, I got dog shit on my toe. Yeah. So it's per- then I know, and that's, a lot of coaches don't do that extra step. Yeah, getting that dog turd. Yeah, which which it's you know you're thorough. Yeah, yeah. Thought these kind of things through, but I I can't I wouldn't stress enough to people that that really want to try this and really want to pursue it. You just have to erase everything. And and we were talking. You're like, man, you picked it up way quicker than than most people, or or quicker than I thought. And in my mind, I was like, well, had we just walked out there and you hadn't shown me five steps and talk to just how you're talking now about those things and i thought them through in my mind so i had goals almost yep i was like i got a goal to get that index finger under the jawline um, if i don't make it there i know i didn't make it there you know so and then when we were done i'm like man every time i draw my bow i'm going one two three four five you know feet to elbow basically feet to back elbow um and i know if i didn't do it i know i didn't do it and yeah. before, the only thing I, you know, if my kisser button fell off, I well, that's not there. But I had no, I wasn't ever wondering about my feet, wondering about my elbow, wondering about my shoulder, thinking about my scapula, yeah. um, thinking about the muscles in my back. So it's, um, it was pretty, pretty quickly dawned on me that, that set those five goals or set, you know, the step-by-step goals. Yep. And every time you shoot an arrow... It she works. That goal, yeah, right? it she works if you goals. check that list off. Yeah. And another reason why this is so important is because occupying your mind with a process really helps you eliminate your ability to trigger a fight or flight reaction. A lot of people that are start to fo- you know, I was I was talking with someone about this. I said, you know, the reason why people shoot stuff in the antlers is because they literally take their conscious focus to the antlers and next thing you know they just they shoot them there and a lot of people you know i've been in moose camps and everything where people like oh perfect shot in the heart it's like uh you shot it in the horn and i've been on whitetail hunts with people that shoot arrows right through the horns and then you you look back on the footage and you realize dude you weren't even looking through your peep sight like you just like pulled back you had no anchor or anything and you just shot and and the reason is, is your attention just goes there. Whereas if you have this checklist, and we talked about the anchor yeah. uh, being number four, five is adjusting your face so that the tip of your nose is on your string and you're looking perfectly through your peep sight and your your scope and your peep sight have a perfect eclipse. And once that happens, you acquire the target. Mm-hmm. And once you acquire the target, you either let off your safety or engage your trigger and you focus on that pulling motion that we talked about and keeping that elbow moving. And as your front pin is moving around, you just forget about that, focus on the rear half, and you pull through. And the shot's going to activate and you know, and you're going to be good. And I don't want to offend you when I say this, but you were saying how you wipe the state clean, clean, how you know, you were surprised how quick everything came together. You actually, I mean this in a good way, you learn like a girl. Mm, and Sharon, yeah. Sharon will, if Sharon was in here, she would know what I mean by that. But my best students are almost always females that have like, that are really trying to learn archery properly. And it's because the mindset of mm. their mindset, they're willing to just like, they don't have like a macho thing like, dude, I always feel better when I put my thumb behind my neck. I mean, it's like, okay, well, listen. Yeah. We're talking about five things are important. You're already ruling one of them out. So you're already limited. Like right now, one out of five isn't there, which means that's 80%. Like right now, you've already said that you're willing to be 20% less accurate than I know is going to be, you know, a proven thing. And then it's like, oh, I don't want, you know, I don't like looking through my peep that way. Okay, well, now it's 40% less accurate. So if you're able to just say, hey, I'm going to just focus on these steps. I'm going to think about these steps every shot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at my feet. I'm going to grab my bow. Then as soon as I raise my bow, I'm thinking about my front shoulder. Yep. I'm going to anchor. I'm going to adjust my head, center my peep. 
And then I'm going to get on my trigger and I'm just going to slowly keep pulling that trigger until I get a surprise release. Yeah. Let the front pin do what it may. And well, and and if you're doing that, like last night, we were, I don't even know what time of night it was. Yeah. But we were shooting at 80 yards and pitch black, literally put a nocturnal knock on the target, on the elk target. And I just said, you know, you're like, should I shine a light on the pin or whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to focus on the steps. Like if I, if I know I have, I know if everything feels right and if I'm aligned properly, if my anchor is correct, the tip of my nose is on my string and I'm able to see that scope housing then I should be aligned properly. And from there, I just move the sight until the tip, you know, the tip of your sight pin was completely black. So when, so when the nocturnal knock was gone, I knew I was covering it. And then I just let off the safety of that evolution and just kept pulling. And we were just, you and I both were sitting there. I said, just focus on the process. Like, we we can't see our sight pin. Yeah. Don't think about the sight pin. Just focus on the process. Yeah, I was amazed at what we were, you know, how close we were hitting. We shot a couple, you know, within inches of each other <laughs> at 80 yards in the pitch black. I know. And I would say, I was thinking about this just now as you're talking that, you know, I'm sure when LeBron James goes to the gym and there's no one there, he's got the same mindset. Yep. It, 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 it went for me in the last day from... A sport, I guess. I don't know, I like to call hunting a sport. Like the sport of archery to a discipline. Oh like, yeah, I, you feel it's a very like, good way to describe it. Yeah, you feel like you now have this process that is is rooted in a discipline. And I'm sure when LeBron James goes to shoot jumpers, he's thinking elbow this way, wrist this way. Um, and I would compare that to hunting too, because you know, then then LeBron James has a guy in front of him. He's yep. got a crowd around him. He's got people waving signs. He's got all this stuff. So. You know, I, I feel like what we did out here was in the gym when no one's looking. And then you get out to, you know, in a tree stand, there's a, a deer there or you're out in open country and there's an elk coming in and screaming. Um, now you've got to, you just got to be, at some level, you just got to be a killer. I mean, you've got to yep. be able to turn off the defender in front of you and the fans screaming and think about the process. Yeah, the um, process, the process is what got you there. Yeah. So if you're going to abandon what got you there, then you're just then you're now rolling dice. Yeah. You know, it's like it's probably like a fighter that has a game plan and his corner has established a game plan for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. This is the process. We know this guy does this. You know, you're this is what you need to do and then all of a sudden like when you abandon that process, it's probably like, "Oh crap. Well, now it's yeah. just down to like we're just throwing, you know, we're just flipping coins here. You, you might get lucky and close the deal and you might get, you might, or you could get knocked out. You know, you could either, you know, you could either make a good shot on a buck of a lifetime. And as that buck's running away, you're like, I literally have no idea where my pin was when I shot, but it just piled up. Yeah. Which you're on the lucky end of that deal. Or you can be the guy where you're like, Freaking never even put my pin on the target and I pulled the trigger and the biggest buck I ever shot seen is running away and I wasn't even close. Which I you know, I've been part of when I was so younger. So I've been in that situation and it's because I had no process. Yeah. I just had a reaction. And I mean and if it if you go to just total primal reaction, then you either need to have so much repeti- repetition That's, that your yeah. subconscious is that good. Yep. That it help that it'll still bail you out, or you're just at the mercy of. Yeah. So of, I would say the like the period of the sentence for me was when I you know I used to always say like some people are just killers like they hunted enough that they know what that sight picture should look like on the deer's front shoulder right in the in the boiler room. They've done it enough. They know they know how to react in a way that will get that animal killed properly. Yep. Um, and I'm sure if you've hunted enough around people, you see somebody who just can't explain it. But when the moment of truth comes, they know they know what they're doing. Do they know the mechanics of what they're doing? I, I can't say. But for me, that's the difference. Like I no longer feel like I can say people like, "Man, I've done this a lot. I'm a killer now." I, like I just have some subconscious thing that helps me do this because I'm calmer, maybe, or yeah, or I just kind of have the mental capacity to see an animal and get an arrow to it. Um, now I know that I won't be thinking about that. Yeah. You know, that that may be a, a 
an inherent value that I'll carry. You but I'm going to be thinking you about. Will. I'm going to be thinking about you know, one, two, three, four, five, kill, as opposed yeah. to like, you know, having the confidence to know because, you know, I, I shot. We were talking about the bow I had before we got this Hoyt, and it the stabilizer broke, that the the um, housing on my sight broke. Yeah. And I was still like, well, I'm going to make a 30-yard shot on a bear. I can do that. Yep. Um, I had all the confidence in the world. I, I wasn't nervous that that was going to affect me at all. It went in there, made a 30-yard shot on a bear, put her down, and she went 20 more yards, and I put another arrow in her, both great shots. And with a piece of equipment, that was crap. Yep. Um, not because it was a bad bow, just because I was broke. The, yeah, broke the house. stuff got damaged. Um, and, you know, I didn't ever ask myself how I did that. I just thought... You know, I knew where to put the pin. Yep. I was thinking fast in a you know yep. in a way that that bear's trying to get away, and I'm not like fumbling around. I'm just getting an arrow out and calmly putting it in and throwing it, throwing it to the animal. And I think this process just adds to that, like elevates it, and almost takes that need away because you don't. Yeah, especially during practice, because that's the point of practice is ingraining and imprinting that step. Okay. And really focusing on that step and having a purpose and a reason for practice. And then are there times where I would want to say in the moment of truth like that, are you going to fall back on that? There, There's certainly times where I'm in the zone to where I can't really tell you if I'm going through that process. But my body's done it so many times. Yeah. It's just floating. It's just going through this. But I also know that when something goes from being in the zone to triggering a fight or flight thing where it's like, oh crap, you have to shoot, you know, you need to, you need to shoot a 10 here and you're going to win a gold medal. And you're, you know, all of a sudden your heart starts beating and you're freaking out. Well, that's when it's just like, okay, let's breathe. Let's go back to one stance, grip, shoulder, anchor, peep, engage, Pull, 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 yeah. follow through, and yeah. then and I would bam, encourage every, everybody listening that isn't at you know John's level, which there's not probably no one is. That's why you're listening to get there. But think about those things. Like go, you know, forget about what we said for a minute, what was said here for a minute, and go out and just and think about how you would normally draw a bow and, and sling an arrow, and then think how many times like what what your process was yeah, and then what it could be because guarantee you'll be just like me or, or, or a lot of people like me that would kiss your butt and peep sight boom and, <laughs> and then if you hit it you're like yes <laughs> yeah yep. and I've spent a lot of time in my life adjusting a sight not even knowing that yeah. your kisser button's different every yeah. day and, that's and, a and fa- your yeah. anchor point's different every time and your shoulder's all jacked up and you're pointing your foot out this way and, this, and then you're like well I must be left and the other thing too is like today after learning the right way you're sore yeah. and you you shot a lot but you know not 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 here you didn't but you've shot a lot prior it's not like you haven't shot for seven months and you came here so you're sore you've literally learned to draw your bow slower be controlled and then to focus on a very minute muscle group to pull that elbow through and some of these smaller muscles are like, you know, ah. And I, I mean, I'm that way w- with these kettlebells. I mean, every every day I'm watching a YouTube video trying to learn a new type yeah. of move. And I'm, I'm realizing now that regardless of like how much I've worked out and how strong I am, I have a very, very weak lower back. Like yeah. these movements are totally saying like, man, your lower back, like very small muscle groups at the back of my spine have never been developed pro- probably to give me true core strength. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool that you're feeling that. Yeah. And if you are sore, then limit, you know, take a day or two yeah. off, limit it and come back and just focus on good execution yeah. with lower reps yeah. until you until you perfect the process. I think what um, what a cool thing to have to know that I've been drawing a bow for I don't know how many years, like fifteen years probably, eighteen years, and never had pain doing it <laughs> in my entire life. And then I realized, like, yeah, the bow I was shooting before this Hoyt that um, you know I'll keep and shoot. I never once had a twinge. I never once felt like, I always felt like it was too easy to draw. Yeah. And maybe I wasn't shooting fast enough arrow. I was shooting, 
You were shooting less poundage. I think you're probably shooting five more pounds too yeah. right now than what you were on the other but, one. Yeah, and I'm not. You know, at the first one, I first started feeling that pain. I was like, man, what? A, what a pussy! I don't want John <laughs> to see me. He already thinks I'm a girl. I don't, like, I don't, I don't want to decide wearing this new Under Armour dress. Like, I, I don't, I don't want, uh, I don't want him to know that I'm getting tired because that that means that I'm uh, a, a wuss and I'm weak, but. It's it's like you said. It's a small muscle group that yep. isn't getting worked. And when you bring your arrow up and you point it at that target and you slowly bring it back and you feel that muscle working, and I can feel it now without a bow in my hand, um, you realize, oh, there it is. And when yep. you don't feel that working anymore, then you know you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know. So that, man, that's the bottom line for me. You'll, you know, you start having a process and you'll feel it, man. You'll feel when you're about to miss. You'll feel when you're about to do something wrong. Well, we better wrap it up, dude. Yeah. We're over an hour, and I've got an appointment in 15 minutes, and Uh-oh. you're late for your uh, for your trip over to your buddy's house. Yeah, I got to roll. So um, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, Appreciate man. it. Hey, every, everyone listening, thank you so much, and uh, I promise I'll get back on here. I actually have a, a few weeks where I'm getting to stay home and chill out with the family and do some shooting and i hope to get some uh, videos and stuff done that i've been promising to do so thanks everybody and uh make sure you check ben out he's a super cool uh dude give us actually ben talk about where you we didn't even say like where you came from before you're with yeti yeah, and then yeah. tell him your uh instagram sure yeah no i um i was a, a journalism major in college and hunted growing up and worked for uh NRA's American Hunter um, as an editor coming out of college for a couple years, for about three years, and then um, got a job at what was then Intermediate Outdoors at Peterson's Hunting Magazine, worked there for about four years, so I kind of just realized that you could, for a living, go hunting, (laughs) you could, for a living, um, do something that you love, so did that for a long time, hunted around the world, got to, you know, got to meet guys like Joe Rogan and go moose hunting and create covers and write articles and and do all that stuff so it was great and you know that's just a short story but um kind of went in my mind went to the dark side of marketing when i went to yeti um <laughs> but they don't they you know my job there is to to find great people and influential people and, and people that we think fit with our brand and um and make it work and that's not you know we have certainly have a great product so it's easy to do what i do and um Nowadays, I'm just, you know, you follow me on Instagram, it's at BennyOB301. Um, you follow me there, you'll see me hanging out with all kinds of cool people, and I'm really, really, really lucky to do that. And For sure. It's made me want to be better. What made me want to be better at this was seeing other people, how damn good they were, mm-hmm. and realizing that I was terrible um, in comparison to, to, you know, guys like you and, and Cam and... Ooh. Well, we're going to get you beating people like me. Don't worry. We'll get that to happen. And just so everyone knows, Yeti, technically, they're not the sponsor to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I like the stuff. I use the stuff, and I have it. And uh, But, yeah, we're just buddies right now, so this isn't a business plug. So thanks, everybody, and uh, all you truckers out there, stay safe. Boys, make sure you keep the Hoyt bows flowing up and down the road. And uh, we'll talk at you later. Later. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.